This podcast is sponsored by OAG. With the world's largest network of air travel data, OAG provides the most comprehensive, accurate flight schedule and flight status information from one trusted source. Explore our industry-leading data for airlines at oag.com. Hey, Airline Weekly Lounge Lizards. We've got a change of pace this week. It's another CEO interview, this time with Frontier's Barry Biffle. Our own Seth Kaplan caught up with Barry in Squaw Valley near Lake Tahoe, where Barry was speaking at the Boyd Group International Aviation Forecast Summit. We were especially interested to get this interview as Frontier is by far the largest non-publicly traded U.S. airline and thus doesn't hold earnings calls and disclose some of the same information as other airlines. So there's perhaps no more revealing U.S. airline CEO to talk to. And Seth Kaplan has done exactly that. It's Barry Biffle on the Airline Weekly Lounge. Perfect timing to be speaking with Barry because uh, actually just this week the second quarter earnings emerged. Frontier, of course, not publicly traded, doesn't uh, file its financials like other airlines do earnings calls and so forth, but it does file its figures uh, with the DOT. And uh, they came out this week a fifty-two million dollar net profit on forty and uh, four hundred eighty million dollars in revenue, uh, good for a twenty percent operating margin. Uh, Excellent by any standards, although sort of middle of the pack in terms of the uh, high-flying U.S. airline industry, taking a little bit of a longer-term view, uh, an 18% margin for the past 12 months. That ranks, ranks Frontier 012 of 74 airlines that we track in the world. Again, some of the U.S. ones above it, a few of the other ultra-LCCs in the world, Alaska, uh, but many more below it uh, than above it. All that on uh, 19% ASM capacity growth markets like uh, Orlando, the fastest growing uh, market, Denver, Las Vegas growing as well, as well as uh, some smaller ones like St. Louis and Milwaukee. Barry, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. So 19% capacity growth generated just 1% revenue growth. And, and so I just want to start by asking you, I, I gather that you're probably feeling some of the same unit revenue pressure that really almost everybody in the U.S. industry is reporting. So so there are some, obviously, competitive pressures going on on a yield basis, but, but you have to remember about Frontier on a year-over-year basis, we've continued to restructure the cost. And so on a year-over-year basis, we had significantly higher seat density, which lowers your RASM, but it also lowers your CASM. And so as you can see, the earnings continue to grow uh, at pace with our capacity growth. And so we're, we're very pleased with the result. Yeah, that 20% margin I mentioned, it was down fractionally from it was 21% last year. And, and certainly other airlines also uh, saw their margins slip just a bit. Uh, I mentioned there you're, you're growing Denver again. Uh, you know, the history there is that Frontier, of course, was once very Denver-centric. I think you said earlier today, actually, when you were presenting here, 95% Denver. Uh, you slashed that quite a bit. Uh, to a point where I guess you, I take it, just judging by your actions, feel that there was actually room to grow again. Of course, United and Southwest have had the same idea, a lot of demand there, but, but a lot of new capacity growth. H- how is that developing, sort of this, this three-way war, although the carriers are obviously all with different business models, but three very large airlines you know, really fighting for, for one mid-sized market? So in in Denver, we did uh, shrink the capacity and we right-sized it, if you will. We had too much capacity in Denver. And, uh, you know, when you 
make your calculations and you do a plan. You know, we got pretty close, uh, but we do believe that we're at a base now and our cost structure is at a point uh, that we can grow Denver again, and we're growing at about 10%. Our system-wide capacity growth is closer to 20 so it's not growing as fast as the rest of the system. Um, but we are growing Denver. We added Pittsburgh. We added San Antonio service, and um, you know, we're very pleased with the results in Denver. And at this point, you obviously still sell connections, but do you basically not optimize for them? It's just if somebody wants to connect, they're welcome to, but you're, you're optimizing for the flight has to make money on its own merits? Yes. I mean, we're, we're, we're a point-to-point airline that happens to carry connections rather than an airline that was built to carry connections. And, and so we still have some, uh, but no, we don't, we don't have the focus on it that we did a few years ago. Talked about your fleet for a minute. Um, you have uh, you've upgaged both through uh, first of all getting out of uh, some of the smaller aircraft that, that you have uh, the three nineteens. I mean, at one point Frontier had three eighteens, uh, and now you actually have some some three twenty ones in your system. I think about a dozen of them, something like that. Am I right? Correct. How, how are how are those performing so far? So the three twenty one is a great aircraft. I mean, uh, all of the Airbus three twenty family are great airplanes, but the three twenty one has been a fantastic addition uh, to the company. We have nineteen total. Uh, um, coming and uh, we're flying them in larger markets they have 230 seats so you do have to fly them to larger markets and make sure that you can fill them Uh, so it's it has a place in our network and in our fleet mix Uh, it's not obviously going to be the primary kind of backbone which will be the a320 neo uh, that we're taking later this month Speaking of which, you've got, I think, about 80 NEOs on, on uh, firm order, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think a handful of 19s, mostly 320s. Am I correct about that? Yeah, so so the majority are 320 NEO, and, and obviously we have the, the right to convert uh, some of those uh, to be all 320, um, but 80 320 family NEOs. Are you able to convert to 321s if you want to? Uh, we could. We could. We can. I mean, obviously, I mean, you can. Airbus will sell you an airplane. Um, that's what they do. And uh, uh, you you are taking them with the CFM engine, so for what it's worth, not even exposed to sort of the the, the Pratt and Whitney issues that are out there, which are themselves, I think, being solved. But right, three CFM engines in here. Yeah, so we have the GE, the the new Leap product. It's it's fantastic engine, and uh, no, we are not caught up in the same. Pratt and Whitney issues. It has impacted some of the the production, kind of spilled over to to our side of the line, uh, and I, I know I know Airbus has had a lot of challenges with it, uh, but they're 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 working through it, and uh, I think they're largely most of those issues are now behind them. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people still think of you as the guy who helped run Spirit for uh, all those years when when it was really coming out to the world stage as a as a rather successful ultra low cost carrier. Interesting looking at them here. We're just talking about you basically upgaging, uh, you know, kind of moving out of 19s into primarily 20s and some 21s. Um, Spirit lately has, has sort of signaled that it's, that it's going to be doing a little bit of the opposite. Um, you know, perhaps uh, down-gauging, you know, the history there is, is that they've, uh, they seem to have felt some competitive pressures that they didn't previously fe- uh, feel. You know, they at one point seemed to feel that they had all kinds of opportunities to grow out of big city hubs, connect dots, you know, once or twice a day, maybe kind of go more or less unnoticed by the legacy airlines and more recently that seems to not be happening those legacy airlines coming out with you know delta has its basic economy product targeted very much at ultra low-cost carriers uh and and just more broadly sort of matching on price um i I guess first i'd ask you you know do, do you feel some of those same kinds of competitive pressures do you feel like legacy airlines are are paying attention to you in a way that they perhaps uh didn't or wouldn't have uh, in, in previous years. Well, look, I know I know there's been a lot of 
discussion about this in the media and and and, uh, and across the industry. Yes, obviously we see that it's a very competitive environment, and uh, that's why we have focused so much on lowering our costs because that's what enables us to compete and be sustainable for the long run. The history shows that uh, you know if, whether it be in Europe and other parts of the world, and even the United States in in decades past, that uh, sometimes these competitive things happen, um, but over time the carrier with the lowest cost uh, actually wins because I can lower my fares. I mean, as you pointed out, our DOT financials, um, on a year-over-year basis, uh, my RASM went down, but my income went up. So it's I can make money at these fares. And so we feel very good about the environment. And we think from a growth perspective, I don't, you know, I can't really comment on what Spirit's doing. I think I think Bob's doing a good job of, uh, you know, putting the airline together and his vision. And, um we're headed in maybe down a similar but but different path uh, at the same time, and uh, yes, we're up gauging while they're down gauging, uh, but we don't necessarily look. I know they've talked about small communities. Uh, we fly to some small communities. We fly to some large ones. We don't really look at it that it has to be small, has to be medium, or has to be large. We just look at what is the the, the competitive set in that situation, and do we think we can make money with our low fares and stimulate traffic. I guess one challenge, this is something that they've talked about too, is sort of the difficulty of differentiating on price alone uh, in an environment where the competition, the higher cost competition, has rather low fares. You know, you know, in, in years past, you could save a whole lot of money flying Spirit or Frontier. Now, you hop on your website, I see $29 fares. Okay, that's great. But then Southwest has $39 fares. You know, American uh, JetBlue and other higher uh, for you know, more, more bundled carriers have, have rather low fares too. Is that a challenge, um, you know, being able to sort of move people over to your airline on price alone in an environment where just, just by definition you can't save hundreds of dollars when fares are so low? Well, I mean, I, I think that it's obviously more challenging, but that's why low fares done right is so critical because, you know, in, in years past, it was thought that you got a low fare, but in order to get that low fare, you had to accept a lower level of service or reliability uh, or experience. And that's why Frontier, we focus so much on low fares done right. And we have 91% repeat business, twice, half our customers twice fly us at least twice a year. Uh, so, you know, we have a following. I mean, we don't have people that are flying us 10, 20 times a year uh, necessarily. Maybe there's a few, but not many. Um, but uh, that is why you still have to offer great service and uh, deliver a reliable product. And again, history shows that when, um, you know, over time they can match the fares, but if their costs don't allow them to make money at that, I mean, if Morton's wants to compete with McDonald's $5 hamburgers and starts selling steaks for five bucks, it's not going to last forever. They can do it for some period of time. And I'm sure a lot of people would go to Morton's and it would be a great $5 steak. Um, but uh, what they're doing, as you see, they're calling it segmentation and so forth. They're actually cheapening up their product. So they're saying, well, you're not going to get the $50 steak. You know, we're going to, they're doing their kind of version of unbundling. Uh, so we feel very good about the, the competitive situation. And, um, and again, I think, you know, these things pass. Uh, but uh, over time, what, what really matters for us, we're going to focus on what we're doing and low fares done right with low fares. The reliable service we think is the key, and uh, over time, I think these things work themselves out. The ultra low cost carriers in general, you, Spirit and Allegiant, I think are just 
have been bumping up against each other a little more recently and probably will have to bump up each other more as the airlines continue to grow. Um, how do you see that emerging, just, just the competition sort of between the, the three of you, or, or is that how, how you view it at all? I guess there's some competition. We have some overlap with Spirit, I guess some overlap with Allegiant, um, but it's, it's a big country. We have a huge opportunity here. And so, I mean, yes, by the very nature, you're going to run into each other uh, from time to time. But it's, it's a big opportunity. We, you know, this, this concept that, that, you know, one passenger exists and it can only be had by one carrier or another and these whole market share uh, discussions and, and stealing from each other, our low fares stimulate new passengers. So there's plenty of new passengers to be generated. It doesn't impact the legacies. And from the ULCC perspective, uh, look, if you go to Europe, it's roughly half the market out of, out of the U.K. And it's a third, I think, of the total, total market is ULCCs. And they exist, coexist uh, very well. And they offer different things for different people. And I think there's a place for Allegiant. There's a place for Spirit. There's a, there's a, there's a place for Frontier. I want to ask you about Cuba. Uh, you know, obviously, an interesting opportunity. Uh, you... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, got approval to serve Havana, which is sort of the, the everybody sees as the real prize, as well as secondary markets uh, uh, from from Miami. Um, I think your your Havana service, if I'm not mistaken, is scheduled to start December first. Um, is that still? And in terms of government approvals, is there anything else that has to happen still with that, or is that all set to go? No, we were awarded the Miami Havana service, and it will start December first. And and as you mentioned, um, Higway and um, a couple of the others will, will start next year. How's that booking so far? I know you are taking bookings, right? Yeah, we're taking bookings. We actually just started, so it's a little little too early. We just started in the last uh, uh, few days selling selling it, so it's a little early to to call it a success or a failure. I want to ask you about your your operations. I remember particularly when you first came in, uh, Frontier was uh, frankly not seen as as a good operator. You're not at the top of the industry, but you're no longer at the bottom of the industry. I think you mentioned earlier your completion factor is actually rather good. Your on time performance is improving. Um, can you talk about the challenge of sort of uh, you know hard to serve two masters? Um, you know, you you, you know, running a messy operation is expensive. On the other hand, being the very best is 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 also very expensive, and you might not be rewarded for that in the same way that you know Delta, notwithstanding what happened last month, you know, generally feels it's being rewarded for being very reliable. So, how do you get that mix right about you know being good enough, uh, but but not not overdoing it in terms of the cost? So we had we had this is a multifaceted issue. I mean, there was there were so many things uh, that we had to do to restructure the company, both financially as well as operationally, and so we're still, I'd say we're the majority of the way through there, probably six out of nine innings and uh, we have still room to improve um, as you mentioned I mean we're top tier in completion so I don't know that we can beat Delta <laughs> there Delta's running a great airline now um, they have months with a hundred percent completion so it's it's uh, you know we don't even have that many spare aircraft because weather does happen right and uh, we we're in a very challenging operating environment Denver for example which is still half the airline uh, it is 27th out of the top 30 airports in terms of operational reliability. It's a tough environment. We have snow in the winter, we've got ice, and then we have thunderstorms for the other half of the year. So uh, it is challenging, but we've made great strides with it, and uh, we're really proud of what we've done. But uh, we've still got work to do, and I don't know that we'll ever be um, number one. As you said, it's, it's, it may not pay to actually be number one, uh, but we want to be top tier. 
one thing that you did initially to, to improve the operation, you had a lot of day week scheduling markets that you you served, you know, three, four times a week. You got out of those. And, and I think that was, uh, well, first of all, let me just ask you if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, that was for, for operational, at least partly for operational reasons, right? Yeah, so the schedule construction was extremely complicated uh, when I arrived at the company a few years ago. And um, we have changed the way we schedule significantly. And so we still have day of week. And in fact, we added even more day of weeks this year. And, that, and, that, and that's what I was going to ask you, because I noticed that it's, it's back. And that's what I was going to say, what, whether something's changed to now make it um, feasible without hurting the operation that it, that it might have in the first place. The, the issue was we flew day of week kind of off the network. And an airplane might actually go four, five, six, seven legs and never come back through a base. So if anything happened, whether it be mechanical or, you know, got behind with weather and the crew busts, it would just, you know, it would, it would cause a cancellation. And so we got out of those. And now we kind of we view our schedules, um, you know, we have to keep them pretty close to a base at any given moment. So we only operate so many legs away from the support structure. You've gone into and out of some markets, uh, uh, you know, obviously the philosophy being that if you don't shoot, you won't score. Um, any in particular that have done surprisingly well, you know, you can probably guess what my next question is going to be, but you know, something that you just sort of thought, well, yeah, let's try this. So you weren't too enthusiastic, but worked better than you thought. I don't, I don't think I would ever put in a route that I wasn't enthusiastic about. <laughs> um, we have about, uh, I think, the actual stats around 80% hit rate. So our success rate is very, very high. Um, and the number two most important thing from a network planner to think about is picking a good route. So don't spend all the time. It's a lot cheaper. You know, you can have very expensive analysts and, and people that work for you. It's a lot cheaper to pay them than to fly and burn the fuel and, 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 uh, burn all the expenses on a bad route. So measure twice you know, cut once, you know, it's a, you make sure you know what you're doing. But the most important trait is actually when something doesn't work, be willing to get rid of it. And uh, people hang on to things, they, they, they rationalize why it should work, or why, why, why is it not working, and, and they stick with it. And so yes, especially for a growth airline, growth airlines make huge mistakes, when they hang on to things that aren't working, because if you're growing in our in our case, for example, twenty percent a year, um, if I have ten percent, if half of the things that I fly this year are, or I start this year aren't working, that means next year I'd have to have thirty percent of my capacity in brand new flying. So you're always trying to manage how much of your exposure is in new flying, and so the the best trade is actually getting rid of it. But as far as specific, you know, ones, I think we're we're relatively pleased with the majority of everything we've started uh, in the last two years since I've come to the company, and um, I don't think there's anything that I would say, oh, this was fantastic any particular that, that you that surprised you on the downside that you thought would work interesting well i mean there's some that you're disappointed in and 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 again you just look at the math though you just you just you try to be objective about it and uh no there's there's several that were disappointing um but you start a lot of routes every year and as long as the majority of them work and your hit rate stays high uh, over time you win through the averages just another few minutes. Uh, I want to ask you for a, a labor update, if you can. Any uh, the, the open contracts? Uh, I'm sure you're 
facing what a lot of airlines are. You're doing rather well. Your employees want to uh, uh, you know, claw back some of what they what they gave up during the difficult times at Frontier. Could you just tell us where all that stands? So, so I think uh, you know most of our employees are excited now. They they have a sustainable airline, and they have a career where a few years ago it was kind of questionable. Um, we do have several open contracts. Our, our our pilots, our flight attendants, our mechanics, uh, our dispatchers. We're in discussions with all of them at this time, and uh, we hope to uh, you know we'll follow the RLA process, and uh, we'll come to an outcome at some point in the future. It, you mentioned before sort of where everybody's positioned, the whole low fare is done right thing. Is it harder in a sense to um, to manage a brand that in the at least, let's say, from a Denver customer's perspective has in some ways gone down market? You know, it used to be a highly bundled carrier to where, you know, hey, if you show up in a new market uh, and somebody used to fly Spirit, and now they're flying Frontier. They may think, "Oh, this is this is nice." But on the other hand, some of your other customers, no matter how much better you are than Spirit, they just remember what Frontier used to be in Denver. Is that challenging to sort of to, to sort of get that mix right for an airline that used to be seen as as, as more of an upmarket airline? So, yes, your historical customer base—that's um, your biggest challenge, right? They had to endure change. Our new places that we've entered service, you know, if we go into a Pittsburgh or we go into a Cincinnati, this is Frontier and it never changed for them. And in particular, we had, you know, our frequent flyer program. It was a very rich frequent flyer program. And we lost about $27 uh, every time one of them flew us. And so if we have a relationship where, you know, you give me a dollar and I give you a dollar and 27 cents back. And one day I come to you and I say, well, I can't do this anymore. That doesn't work. Um, you may be upset about it. Um, but we're to the point now, uh, I have this happen significant, you know, pretty, fairly often. Um, I fly us, uh, a pretty good amount and invariably everyone knows who I am and I introduce myself and, and there'll be a few people you have to talk through the changes. And there's always one or two that say, yeah, but I was, I was one of your summit elites and, and now I don't like this and so forth. And they'll continue to complain. And, and of course, this conversation normally takes place in front of five to ten other customers all sitting around us. And eventually I get to the point, you know, I'll try to convince them that this was good for them and it's good for other consumers and so forth. And I eventually just say, if, you, if you're so upset, well, why are you on us? Oh, well, it was another $300 to fly on Southwest. And it was 600 more on United. And I'm like, okay, well, there you have it, you know. So they, they, they still, they're, they're finally getting to the point where they recognize, well, I guess I am still the best value for them. And if you can't afford another $600 or another, even another $300, you know, you know, just be happy with what you've got. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you any update on, on IPO plans. Oh, we don't comment on, on rumors. And, and people out there who say, oh, you know, Frontier and Spirit are obviously going to merge someday. <laughs> I think there, there's a community of those people. Is that, is that, uh, is that crazy or reasonable speculation? Again, I don't comment on rumors. Most importantly of all, Barry, uh, all the animals on the tails, you have a favorite one? Uh, I like Ferndale. I like Grizz. Um, I like the Badger. There's, there's several of them. There are. Hey, Barry, uh, congratulations on, on everything you've achieved. Uh, you're, you're busy. I know you have to run and catch a flight. Really appreciate you spending time with us today. Hey, thanks, Seth. Always a pleasure. That was Airline Weekly's Seth Kaplan with Frontier CEO Barry Biffle. Whew, never thought he would get to that question about the all-important animals on the tail. 
call it your reward for listening all the way through. Seth and I will be back next week with our usual format. Until then, thanks for joining us in the Airline Weekly Lounge.